series in uh, 1 Corinthians 15 called Lynchpin. This is the second out of uh, five teachings we have through this uh, series. If you would turn to that chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to start in verse 12. Last week, Jeff took us through the kind of the historical view of the resurrection, the history behind it. Next week, Monty's going to take a more theological approach. Paul changes, takes a more theological approach. But this week is a very logical approach. Paul has come to this subject and he's uh, saying, look, logically speaking, here are the reasons behind the resurrection. And more importantly, here are the things that happen logically uh, as a result of the resurrection. Or in this case, kind of taking an a opposite view, what if it had not happened? So it's a real... Uh, Easy to follow, understand the idea that Paul's doing here, speaking to the Corinthian church. So look at, let's start right in with verse 12. <clears throat> Paul says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? So the question is, why would this question even come up? And the answer is this, is that humans uh, have a, a bad problem. Our problem is uh, we get absorbed by the surrounding culture. And that had happened to the Corinthian church, has been well documented already, in our series, there was this idea called dualism that was put forward by Plato, the Greek philosopher. And the city of Corinth and the Corinthian church had even been infected by this idea of Greek philosophy of dualism that said kind of uh, dichotomies. Things are in two parts, good and evil, matter and non-matter. And this idea had come in that the Greeks put forward that said the body is bad and everything else is good, like spirit good, body bad. And Paul is talking to the Corinthian church here, and he's saying, wait a minute, that's a faulty premise, that dualism is not the truth and never has been. As a matter of fact, this Greek uh, philosopher Celsus, 220 A.D., said this, to believe in a physical resurrection is to have the hope of worms. Who would ever desire to wish to return in the body that had rotted? So they believed that the, the body was just the soul's prison, like the, the soul was imprisoned in this thing until we could finally get rid of it. As you could imagine what came out of that, logically speaking, in the Corinthian church. A lot of what we've been talking about with the, uh, the way they lived, to Corinthianize, to eat, drink, and be merry, it was all part of the, the culture of Corinth. And so if, the, if Greek philosophy could infiltrate the church where the body was bad, then it really wouldn't matter what you did with your body. Right, so Paul is battling that and saying, no, why would some of you say that? The word dead there, by the way, in verse 12, no resurrection of the dead, that is the word corpse. So Paul's really saying, uh, how can you say that uh, if some of you are saying there's no resurrection of corpses, but if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how can you say that at all? So Paul is taking the church and taking us back to the very foundations of the faith. As a matter of fact, if you look, I don't have time to look these up, but couple places in the Old Testament. Isaiah 26 verse 19 says this, Your bodies shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy, for your dew is a dew of light, and the earth will give birth to the dead. A guy named Mitchell Chase is writing on the Gospel Coalition website. He said, Isaiah depicts the earth giving birth. The tomb is a womb, and one day the dead will emerge in renewed bodily life. And in Psalm 71, 20, the psalmist is reflecting kind of on the past uh, problems and, and the future deliverance that, ooh, and, uh, and future deliverance. It says, you who made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. 
So the message is that God's going to revive us by what? By, by raising us. And so Paul's taking the Corinthian church and taking us right back to the foundations of the Christian faith that um, there will be a bodily resurrection uh, and there will be one, this as there was for Christ, there will be for us. So the whole rest of this text, the whole rest of our passage today is going to operate on this premise that uh, why would you be asking this question? Verse 12 says, and from 13 through 19, Paul's going to outline logically what happens if the premise that we do not rise from the dead ourselves is taken. So I've got a, this friend of mine called Stephen Morris. I really don't know him, but uh, he's on video. I'm going to show what, watch this video as an idea of what Paul unfolds in the rest of the text today. Playing with dominoes. But what you may not know is that a domino can knock over another domino, which is about one and a half times larger. So what I have here is a chain of dominoes. Each one is one and a half times larger than the previous one. And the smallest domino is about five millimeters high and one millimeter thick. And I will carefully place it. And there are 13 dominoes. And the largest domino, it weighs about 100 pounds and is more than a meter tall. Ready? Boom. That was 13 dominoes. If I had 29 dominoes, the last domino would be as tall as the Empire State Building. Gotta love a guy that says boom at the end of that. So here's the deal. You get a domino the size of a piece of gum, and it eventually knocks over something that weighs 100 pounds. If you go even further out, the last domino, three times that number of dominoes, it's the size of the Empire State Building. So Professor Morris says it takes a little bitty something to start a whole chain of events. That's exactly Paul's point in this text. So it starts at verse, at verse 13. You're going to watch this flow of letting this first domino fall and what happens after that. So verse 13, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, if we have no bodily resurrection ourselves, then not even Christ has been raised. So verse 13 says this, if we don't have a bodily resurrection, then that means that Christ has not even been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, we have no foundation whatsoever. And so if we're not raised, the first domino falls. Because here's the deal. Uh, last week, the entire text that Jeff did was this whole idea historically that Jesus Christ was a human. He was a man and was fully God. And so... Um, if we deny the literal physical re uh, resurrection of Jesus, then we're stuck with the fact that he isn't risen at all. What we have is just one more dead rabbi. Nothing more. If he was not fully human we just, if, and not fully God, we just have a dead rabbi. But, but, but Scripture is very full that he possessed a human body. He, just a few things it says about Jesus in the Gospels. He grew in wisdom and stature. He was seen weeping and hungering and thirsting and sleeping and growing weary. He felt grief. He was beaten with fists. He was whipped. He was nailed to a cross. He died. His side was pierced, was buried. He came out of the grave and was seen, as Jeff said last week, by over 500 people. So Paul has said last, last week, as we studied it last week, Jesus was very much a man. Jesus very much died. And he very much was resurrected and was seen by over 500 people. The whole 11 verses before this one. So 
And the point is, if men don't rise and Jesus didn't rise, and if that didn't happen, this whole thing is beginning to be unraveled. A guy named Sam Storm said, what we needed first and foremost was the sinless Son of God to become one of us, a human being. And as the God-man, to die a death we should have died and to defeat it through bodily resurrection. This is exactly what he's done. And so Paul says, hey, if we are not expecting, as Christians, a bodily resurrection, that our bodies rise like his did, if that didn't happen, then not even Christ was raised from the dead. If he, he did not rise from the dead, then there's absolutely no foundation. None whatsoever. Then he goes on. There's no foundation and there's really even no point to it. Look at verses 14 through 16. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. <clears throat> Paul says your preaching and your faith are in vain. If Jesus did not raise from the dead, if he's, if he's still dead, then all the preachers, everybody, every word spoken here and, and everywhere else, beginning with Mary Magdalene herself. Jeff brought that up last week. Beginning with her in John 20. Mary Magdalene going to find those disciples and telling them that Jesus has raised. If he didn't, if he didn't rise from the dead, that's all in vain. That goes nowhere. And all the preachers through all the centuries and all the conversations that coffee shops and kitchen tables and all those words that are spoken, absolutely no point to it. And all these great men through the years that we spurred, you just know them by their last names, Spurgeon and Wesley and Graham and, and um, Edwards and Moody and Waldron and Patton and, you know, all these, all these great names, you know, the, of these preachers uh, that have come through the years, right? That's all absolutely pointless. There's no point in, in any of that. So it says our preaching is in vain and our faith is in vain. Faith is this idea of trusting. But the biblical faith is talked about here. It's trusting with an implication that there are going to be actions taken on that trust. It's like walking across a bridge. Like, so if it's pointless, if there's no point to this at all, if it's all in vain, if it's all futile, uh, the bridge we're walking on, there's nothing to it. It's going to fall. It's like the worst trust fall in history, right? <laughs> like anybody did any trust falls in corporate team building things? And I think there's a Doritos commercial where the, they're doing this trust fall and a guy walks in Doritos, they all kind of walk away and the guy falls, right? It's like, this is the worst joke ever if there's no point to this. Because what we're walking on has nothing underneath. It's a matter of fact, the word in vain when it has to do with places or vessels, it means it contains nothing. Like, I didn't have any daughters, but I had a younger sister. I've got nieces, and I've been to my share of tea parties with them, right? So usually there's really not any tea. So you drink with the empty vet. Boy, that's so good. It's a lot of fun. It's really relational. It's great. But there's no tea. There's no substance to it. So it's this idea of it can be a great experience. What we're doing can be a great experience. We can have a good relational time and relate to one another, but there's nothing to it. It's empty. There's nothing in the vessel. It's a, you pour, there's nothing to pour out. And then when it comes to have to do with people, uh, it means to be empty-handed or to be without a gift. So all these conversations in coffee shops and kitchen tables and all these places, we're not handing anything to one another except maybe a good positive time. So Paul is saying, if this is the case, if we are not resurrected, we have no resurrection to look forward to. If that's true, then Christ himself has not been raised. There's absolutely no foundation 
Uh, and everything we're doing, everything we're doing today is absolutely in, in vain. It's, it's absolutely futile. There's nothing to it. It's empty. We're walking on nothing. There's nothing in the vessel. We have nothing to hand to each other. All of it's untrue. And it gets even, goes even further that we are found to be misrepresenting God. The word found to be means after searching to find the thing which is sought. It's almost like you hold a bill, a dollar bill or $20 bill up to the light and you look at it to see if it's real. It comes out as counterfeit. Paul says when this thing, this Christian faith is held up to the light, if these things are true, if, if no, there's no resurrection and you hold the Christian faith up to the light, it's counterfeit. There's nothing to it. It's like there's no integrity. The word integrity means to be integrated. The front looks like the back. And when you hold it up to the light, you can see that it's true. And Paul says if these dominoes begin to fall, uh, you see that it's counterfeit. And there's something really kind of sinister in all of this too. Um, verse 15, we're found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. And here's something coming through this. Uh, Dr. Uh, excuse me, Gordon Fee wrote, actually wrote the hermeneutics book that I studied in, in school. Here's what he says. Since for Paul, Christ's resurrection is not his own doing, it's not Jesus' own doing, but God's vindication of the work of the Son, that means that a denial of the resurrection of the dead leads ultimately to a denial of the gospel altogether. And levels an accusation against God Himself that He claimed to do what He in fact did not do. So inside of this, if these things are not true, inside of this is we humans indicting God for being a liar. And Paul said that's some real serious territory there. If we don't have a bodily resurrection that we look forward to, that God redeems all of us, and that one domino falls, that domino that seems that big begins to fall. What that means is we end up indicting God Himself and saying that He is a liar because God says Himself all through Scripture that His vindication of the work of the Son is the power of the resurrection and the defeat of death ultimately. And so Gordon Fee points out if that's the case, if, you hold, if you're holding this thing up, if you're walking on a bridge that does not exist, if you're falling and there's no one to catch you, if there's nothing in the container, if we hand something back and forth with empty hands, if all of that is true, um, then what we're actually doing is we're indicting God and saying this whole thing is a joke. That God did not vindicate Himself. God did not vindicate Christ through the resurrection. And we level Him and make Him a liar. So there's no foundation. If there's no foundation, there's no point. And then ultimately there, there's no escape. No, okay. Verses 17 and 18. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those, uh, then those who have also fallen asleep in Christ have perished. No escape. How many of y'all been to St. Louis up in the arch? Okay. Now here's a little something, a little true confession time. I cannot stand enclosed places. I start breathing like a little puppy if I think about being, you know, enclosed. Well, I don't know what I had in mind, but a couple of years ago, I went to St. Louis for a baseball game, and Sheila had this big idea. Hey, let's go up in the arch while we're there. That sounds great. Good. I think in my head, I had like a little train that takes you up into that thing. It's an ostrich egg. This thing is tiny. 
I remember stopping at the little door, stood in line, stopped at the little door there, and the door opened up, and it's this little thing. It's about that big. And, and me and Sheila and Luke at about, seemed like 15 or 20 college guys, it was really only three of them, uh, got in. It was just an enclosed little place. And, and on the way up, I kept looking out the window thinking, there's no way out of this thing. What do I do if I do get out? Right? And then I thought, you know, I'm, and I'm also, when I do get out, I'm going to be in a big, giant metal arc with nothing to support it in the middle with a lot of other people. This is the craziest thing I've ever done. But I was so cramped. It scared me to death. There was absolutely no escape. I'll tell you something else from the devil. Ferris wheels. <laughs> That's crazy. Think about this. Somebody said, you know what's a good idea? Big old giant, literally, wheel. Going to put seats on it that sway back and forth. And we're just going to start turning it around. And if Phil Herndon never gets on it, we're going to stop it right at the top. And for hours and hours, we were at Navy Pier in Chicago, and that thing stopped right there. Of course, Sheila and Luke, they're looking around, the thing's kind of rocking, and I'm turning green and thought, there's, no, there's, there's one way out of this, and it's, it's just not going to work. You know, and this is a great place for a linchpin comment, by the way. There's, there's one axle through this thing, and that pin, you know, bad. So I'm thinking, I'm stuck. There is no way off this thing. Like no escape. What is scarier than no escape? Inside an ostrich egg and a big giant wheel. Boy, Phil, vacation with you is a real blast, isn't it? <laughs> as long as you keep me off of those things, we're we have a good time. But like when there is no escape, it's horrifying, terrifying. And Paul is saying that's exactly what we're seeing here. And it's way more serious than riding up on the St. Louis Arch or a Ferris wheel at Navy Pier. It's way more. There is absolutely no escape. As a matter of fact, it says we are still, worse yet, we are still in our sins. Now that word is a primary preposition. I don't know if y'all learned this in school, and I was educated in Georgia and Oklahoma. I learned a preposition is anywhere a squirrel can go. <laughs> right? We're just all over. Right? A preposition is is where someone can go. So we are in our sins. It means in them, encased by them, enveloped by them, by beside them, around them. There's no escape. You ever seen a little kid trying to outrun his or her shadow? <laughs> it's just still there. Everywhere I go, there my shadow is. Paul's idea here is like, look, here's the deal. There's absolutely no escape. And it's horrible because we are still in our sins. We're in them, covered by them, enveloped in them, encased by them. The whole thing is coming apart and there is absolutely no way out of this. So let's walk through just, just a few places, a few things where, where the gospel is no longer true. If it's true that we have no escape, listen to what happens. Just write these down. We won't look any of these up. Colossians 3.3 says that we are hidden with Christ in God. Well, that is no longer true if that domino falls. We're not hidden with Christ in God. We are enveloped by our sin. Romans 4.25 says, talking about um, Jesus, He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. His resurrection secured our justification. Then that's no longer true. Romans 6.5, For we have been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. So Romans 6, 5, that goes away too. It really, it really reads, 
we certainly will not be united with Him because He didn't have a resurrection anyway. Romans 8.34 Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, more than His death, Paul says, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. If there is no bodily resurrection, then Christ is not raised. We have no escape. We even have no advocacy at the throne of God. It says Jesus lives to intercede for us daily. If there is no resurrection, that's no longer true. No advocacy. And if you've ever been in a place where you needed an advocate in earthly life, there are a few things more powerful than someone standing of the word. Advocate means with voice. Someone to have a voice for me. If you've ever been in a place in your life where you needed someone to be your voice when you did not have one, then we ultimately have that in Christ. But if the resurrection is not true, that goes away too. There is no intercession that He's making for us. And then uh, Romans 1.4 says that He was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. And maybe... Maybe the worst outgrowth yet, Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Guess what happens? There is therefore still condemnation because Christ never rose. I was reading uh, some uh, researching this as part of this message. And up until the 1960s, when a prisoner was condemned to death, when they came to get that prisoner and they walked him down the corridor to the death chamber, They would yell out something. Anyone know what that is? Dead man walking. So when you heard that voice behind you, dead man walking, you knew you ain't coming back. That's a one-way trip. So dead man walking would ring through the corridors of death row as a man or woman in a few cases walked down to the electric chair or the firing squad or later on to the the lethal drugs. And now Jesus Jesus has come in Romans 8. One says, we are no longer dead man walking. No condemnation. But if there is no resurrection, yes, we are. We're walking down the hallway to our death that is coming, and the the screams behind us are saying, dead man walking, dead woman walking. If that goes away, uh, if resurrection goes away, that goes away too. Then lastly, Revelation 1 says this, Fear not, Jesus speaking, fear not. I am the first and the last. And the living one, I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. And watch what Paul says, verse 18, Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If there is no resurrection, he absolutely does not have the keys to death and Hades. And the people who have perished are eternally in hell. That is a serious ramification. That first little domino falls. There now is condemnation. We are dead men, dead women walking, and he does not have the keys to death in Hades. And there is no escape. And so those who have already perished, they stay perished. There is no escape, whether dead or alive. The ramifications are eternal. There is no escape whatsoever. And then ultimately, verse 19 If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. The word pity there means to be mired in misery. We're, we are mired in misery if we have hope only for this life. If there is no resurrection, we are mired in misery. So 
Paul's argument is this, this whole chain of consequences becomes true if there is no resurrection. The gospel has no substance, no foundation. Our faith is in vain and believers are liars. Oh, by the way, so is God if there's no resurrection. Sin and death wins. There's absolutely no escape. No escape. Therefore, we are mired in misery. Sheila and I spent the first year of our marriage living in uh, Conyers, Georgia. And the church we were a part of was a great mission-sending church. Had a big missions conference every year. And one of the stories I still remember, this is 1989, I still remember was a, the story of a Chinese lady, a Christian, who had been caught uh, worshiping. And her sentence was to walk around. This is really gross and true. Her sentence was to walk around in what amounts to a giant cesspool all day, every day, pushing a big log around and around and around, mired up to here, literally in sewage. She was mired in misery in a complete different context. But the difference was this. This woman believed in a God who had indeed been resurrected. And though she was mired in misery here, that's not the kind of misery that Paul's talking about. We are mired in that kind of misery for eternity. and There's absolutely no escape to it. So this passage teaches that one day this Chinese lady... Her body will be resurrected, and one day ours will be resurrected, and therefore that will be worth it. So a couple of takeaways. Paul says, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. We're mired in misery. However, God's been very, very clear in Scripture that we were created for life with God in a body. Our bodies was God's idea, not ours. He put us into a body, and God redeems all of us. God redeems everything. God redeems uh, our eternity. God redeems heart, soul, and body. God has, is not going to abandon any of this. David writes in the Psalms, you will not abandon me to Sheol. My body will not see decay. He doesn't mean will not see literal decay. It means ultimately, even though it decays for a while, a day is coming when it will no longer be in decay. And that's covered for the rest of this chapter that Jeff and Monty will cover for us in the days to come. So let's talk about a practical outcome as we start to think about a so what. It's a practical outcome to all of this is this, that um, there, if there is a resurrection, and if you want a preview of coming attractions, take a peek at verse 20. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. If you don't already have an exclamation point in your margin, put one there now. Uh, because verse 19 ends very darkly, but here's one of the practical outcomes We've seen the preview of coming attractions. Christ did rise again. So if there's a resurrection of Christ and our bodies, then eternity must matter. And if eternity matters, it means that how we live here matters. And it comes down to, are we going to live for a blip in time? As a friend of mine used to say, a pastor, mentor of mine used to say, life is like a snowflake on a moving river. That long is gone. Other places in Scripture say our life is a mist and then gone. So are we going to live here for this uh, for the blip in time or for eternity? I read where a guy said living only for today is like painting the front door of a house that's on fire. That is going to come to nothing. So if, if in fact that is true, the Scripture said it is to be true, then we are not mired in misery. We're actually to be envied. Because we have the privilege and the opportunity of living for something far beyond just this life here on earth. If you've ever talked to anyone uh, who is near the end of life or who has had a brush with death, so to speak, 
think, think back on how pointed they were at what really and truly matters. So our so what today is, is this. How are you living? How are you living? Are you living for the blip? Are you living for just the hope we have here on this earth? Or are you living for eternity? So take a few moments to do an inventory of our life now and life then.